0: Key term for today is covenant. You can't really understand the Old or New Testament without grasping the idea of a covenant. A covenant was an agreement, a contract, to use a popular word of today. There were covenants between human beings, but the Bible is particularly interested in the covenants between man and God. These were not decided in a committee meeting between man and God. Each covenant was given on God's initiative. Abraham, considered the father of the Hebrews or Israelites had an agreement with God, all males in his household and all his male descendants would be circumcised, see Genesis chapter 17. Circumcision was the sign that Abraham and his descendants were God's special people, the people of the covenant. Failure to circumcise was so serious that the person could be expelled from the faith community. Any uncircumcised male, who has not been circumcised in the flesh, will be cut off from his people, he has broken my covenant. See Genesis chapter 17 verse 14. Later on, the great prophets had to remind Abraham's descendants that the physical circumcision was important, but it meant nothing unless the person's heart and actions were right. Male proselytes, non-Israelites who chose to become full members of the spiritual community of Israel, were required to have themselves circumcised. God-fearers were non-Israelites who followed Israel's religion but did not take the final step of being circumcised. Among the Israelites, the surgery was performed on infant boys eight days after birth, a practice still followed by Jews today. Sibling Rivalry, Genesis Chapter 33 Brother-hating brother seems to be a common occurrence in Genesis. The first brother, Cain, kills his brother Abel. The twins Jacob and Esau are at odds, and for the legitimate reason that Jacob tricked Esau out of their father's blessing. Jacob spends much of his life avoiding the wrath of Esau, but in Genesis 33 the inevitable confrontation takes place. By this time Jacob is a prosperous nomad with two wives, two concubines, eleven sons, and flock of livestock. The day following his famous wrestling match with God, Jacob sees Esau marching out with four hundred men. Jacob fears a bloodbath or at least his own death and the capture of his wives, sons, and flocks. Nothing of the kind happens. Esau hugs and kisses his wayward brother, and they both shed tears. After living in fear for years, Jacob finally is at peace with his one brother. See Genesis chapter 33. But sibling problems tend to run in this family, which seems inevitable. Given that the numerous sons have four different mothers, the four women know Jacob does not love them equally. His real love goes out only to the comely Rachel, who dies giving birth to her second child, Benjamin. Jacob naturally lavishes more love on Rachel's two sons, the baby Benjamin and, more importantly, Joseph. From Genesis 37 on the end of the book, the chief character is the spoiled but ultimately powerful Joseph. Genesis 37 tells us that Jacob gave his favorite son a coat of many colors. Whatever the coat was, it made him stand out from the rest of the brothers. This obviously irked the brothers, who were also irked that Joseph sometimes tattled on them. But even worse, Joseph reported having dreams where his brothers and even his father were all bowing down to him. Not surprisingly, his brothers were jealous of him. They seem determined that his dream will never come to pass but, as often happens in the Bible, God had other plans. Jacob sends Joseph, wearing his robe, of course, out to check on his brothers who are grazing their flocks far from home. The brothers see an opportunity to get rid of Joseph. They can kill the spoiled brat and no one will know what happened. At first they plan to kill him and throw him in a pit, but then they decide to throw him alive into the pit. A caravan of traders passes by, and brother Judah has an idea, sell Joseph as a slave to the traders, make a profit from it, and ease their consciences of doing him physical harm. So his own brothers sell Joseph as a slave for twenty pieces of silver, and Joseph is taken into Egypt. The brothers dip Joseph's gorgeous robe in goat's blood, return home, and show it to the distraught Jacob, who believes some wild animal has killed his favorite son. Chapter 39 Verse 2 And though Joseph is a slave in the house of a high official named Potiphar, he is so wise and trustworthy that Potiphar eventually makes him head over the entire household. What ends this cozy situation is the lust of Potiphar's wife. Joseph is handsome and young, and the wife tries repeatedly to entice him into her bed. Joseph is a decent man, and he refuses her. She has her vengeance. Alone in the house one day with Joseph, she cries out that Joseph has tried to rape her. It was a lie. Her husband is enraged, naturally, the Hebrew slave he trusted so much has betrayed him. He throws Joseph into the royal prison. But, again, the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph shows such intelligence that the prison keeper makes him his second in command. Genesis chapter 40 shows that Joseph is not only a dreamer but an interpreter of dreams. Two of the prisoners, both of them former servants of Pharaoh, tell him their dreams. Joseph explains that the cupbearer's dream is a prophecy that he will be freed from prison and be restored to office. It happens as predicted. Joseph also explains the baker's dream, he will be beheaded with his body thrown out for the birds to eat. Sadly this dream come true also. In the meantime, the cupbearer, serving Pharaoh again, learns that his boss is having dreams he cannot interpret. The cupbearer remembers Joseph's amazing abilities, and he mentions it to Pharaoh, who is distraught because his court counselors have no luck interpreting the dreams. Joseph is brought in and explains Pharaoh's dream. Seven thin cows devouring seven fat cows are a prophecy of what will happen in Egypt. There will be seven years of good harvests, followed by seven years of famine. Joseph suggests that some wise man be put in charge of a program to store up food from the good years so that people will not starve in the years of famine. Remarkably, the former slave and prisoner is made Pharaoh's right-hand man. Joseph wears the king's signet ring, dresses in fine clothes, and has a gold chain around his neck. He marries an Egyptian wife, has sons, and is even more respected when the famine he predicted really does take place. The famine takes place in Canaan also, Joseph's homeland. Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt to buy grain. Inevitably, they encounter Joseph, but, of course, they do not recognize his in his Egyptian clothing or appearance. However, Joseph does recognize his brothers. Here is a tense moment. The brothers bow to this Egyptian official, meaning Joseph's long-ago dream has come to pass. Understandably, Joseph would feel bad for what they did to him. In fact, at first he treats them roughly and accuses them of being spies from Canaan. Joseph puts them to a test. He will hold them in custody until they have their youngest brother Benjamin, brought down to Egypt. The brothers speak to each other in Hebrew not knowing Joseph can understand them. They wonder if they are being punished for what they did to Joseph long ago. Joseph realizes his wayward brothers do possess a conscience. He is so touched he goes away from them and weeps. He sends the brothers home with the grain they bought, but when they stop to rest along the way, they discover the money they had paid for the grain has been put back in the sacks of grain. Back in Canaan, the brothers report to Jacob that they have to carry brother Benjamin back to Egypt with them. Jacob is unwilling, of course, since his only other son by Rachel, Joseph, disappeared long ago. But the brothers, Benjamin included, return to Egypt. To their surprise, Joseph throws a feast for them. He is so touched at the sight of Benjamin that he has to leave them. In chapter 45, Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers, he tells them not to feel guilty for selling him into slavery for God had used his adversity to raise him to high office, saving Egypt from famine and ensuring that Egypt would have enough food to keep Jacob's sons alive as well. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. Joseph kisses his brothers and they all have a good cry. He has his old father brought down to Egypt, and the two have a tearful reunion. Israel's brothers and their numerous wives and children settle in a region of Egypt known as Goshen. The book of Genesis ends with the dying Israel pronouncing blessings on his 12 sons and prophesying what will become of their descendants in the years to come. Israel dies at the age of 110 and is embalmed and buried in Canaan. Joseph remembers that he himself is a native of Canaan, not Egypt, and he makes his brothers promise him that their descendants will someday rebury him back in Canaan. All the descendants of Jacob, also known as Israel, are living comfortably in Egypt. The stage is set for a dramatic change of fortunes that will occur at the beginning of the book of Exodus. But for now, the children of Israel are happy and content, having learned a lesson from Joseph, God can bring good out of evil, prosperity out of adversity. Joseph sets the pattern for the Israelite wise man. Instead of being crushed or driven to despair by adversity, he accepts it as a challenge and manages to rise above it. In closing this chapter, let's remind ourselves that Genesis is the first book of what the Israelites call the Torah, a Hebrew word usually translated law but really meaning instruction or guidance. Genesis does not contain actual commandments or instruction as are found in Exodus through Deuteronomy, but it does contain guidance in the form of moral role models, Joseph being the supreme example in the book.